Listen now for the story from the Gospel of Mark. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she might be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware of the power that had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk around. She was 12 years of age, and at this they were overcome with amazement. And he strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of the Lord. What happened to you? What happened to you? I was browsing Father's Day gifts for my grandfather, who loves books. My parents have a deal with him that he can't bring one more in unless he sends one more back out. I was browsing books on Amazon to see what might be a good Father's Day gift, and Oprah's new title leapt from the screen. Have you seen it? There's a human figure on the front in soft spa blues and greens. For a moment, I imagined my grandfather on Father's Day carefully closing a sentimental card and setting it aside and picking up the rectangle wrapped with festive tape, a book. Will it be fiction, a mystery, 
a breakout novel for summer beach reading? My daydream shifted a bit as I imagined him setting the paper aside and turning it over, his eyes growing wide. Whoa! What happened to me? What happened to me? I moved to a new city, I lost your grandmother, and I had to spend 15 months in a condo with a cat. What happened to me? What happened to you? Have you lost your mind? Okay, so that would have been a radically inappropriate gift, but I was intrigued. What happened to you? Conversations on trauma, resilience, and healing by Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Bruce Perry. It seemed like exactly what every good pastor should be reading right now, and so I looked for a copy for myself. I looked on the indie bookstore, no copies. Then Amazon, back-ordered indefinitely. So I tried the library. I am now 428th on the line to borrow a copy. I realized that I couldn't have ordered the book for my grandfather had I wanted to, and I thought, well, good grief. What has happened to us that the entire world has instantaneously ordered a book called What Happened to You? What happened to us? What is it that has America tuning in monthly to nostalgia television reunions of the late 90s and early 2000s sitcoms? We were invited back to the Smelly Cat Cafe with Jennifer Aniston and the cast of Friends. Jed Bartlett and Josh Lyman took us back to the West Wing where presidents stayed up late into the night to wax poetic on democratic philosophy with hopeful young leaders. Leslie Nope and the Parks and Rec crew brought back little Sebastian and reminded us to treat yourself. And treat ourselves we have. Over the past year, we redesigned our homes like never before. During the pandemic, American spending on home improvement grew at twice the rate of other retail categories. $352 billion strong in 2021 up from $290 billion in 2017. And much of the spending was invested in creating spaces of comfort and relaxation, health and wellness, in-home spas. Peloton was on the rise before, but in the last year, Peloton instructor Tunde Oyenyein garnered the star power of Taylor Swift and Serena Williams combined. And Yoga with Adrian. How many of you do yoga with Adrian? Come on. Really? Come on. 21 million people do yoga with Adrian every month. Have you seen her in home studio? As a society, we are seeking comfort and groping for healing at home, in private, in ways that I dare say are yet beyond our understanding. And of course, it all makes me wonder. What happened to us? What happened to you? What happened to me? What happened to us that we are all reaching for healing at every turn? Behind closed doors, what pain have we endured? What wounds have been left untended? What crosses have we carried? Whose still quietly dying inside, just out of you. What happened to you? 
These days we're all coming out, right? We're walking around, bumping around in the world at the grocery store, in crowded spaces, vaccinated, unvaccinated, but we're all a little unmoored. We see people without masks on and we gaze at their chins as if they are just miracles. <laughs> we bump into people we've known for 20 years and we don't know where to start because how are you sounds a little pat, but should you just ask, were you afraid of dying when you had COVID? Did your family disown you during this election season? That seems like a bridge too far to start with. A couple of weeks ago, I was on a bike ride in Madison. It's a beautiful city with lakes throughout it. And I paused on Lake Monona to just take in the view and enjoy the cool air. And a family came up on their bikes and they looked at me and said, would you mind taking a picture? I said, oh, of course, how fun. We used to do these things, remember that? And so they all got together and I took their little phone and I said, okay, Wisconsin cheese. And they smiled and I smiled, but all of a sudden, the woman melted into sobs, and then the man, and then the little kid. And I just stood there holding their phone thinking, what happened to you? My face must have betrayed me, and one of the daughters said, I'm, I'm sorry. It's just been a hard year. So I gave them back their phone, and they left. What more was there to say? What happened to you? When Jairus fell prostrate before Jesus, I'm sure some of the people who had known him as a synagogue leader thought, what happened to you? Jairus was a good religious leader. He wore his robes and he sat up straight and he prayed proper prayers and he sang appropriate songs. He spent his days and nights in the places where other people sought comfort and healing and he'd long found comfort in it all the rituals, the blessings that all made life make sense until it didn't. One day his daughter coughed and then she had a temperature. She lost her taste for food. She couldn't get enough sleep. She used to love running up and down the streets, but now she just laid in bed. And Jairus tried to make her comfortable made a little bed for her, just for her, so she could rest undisturbed from the rest of the family in the little house. He brought herbs and teas from the market, just like his grandmother used to, to try to get her to sit up and be curious about life again, but nothing worked. He prayed the Psalms, and she laid there still. And Jairus became frantic. When this little girl came into the world and he'd fell, fallen in love with her, nothing had ever been the same since. That baby girl, the one who changed everything, now just barely coming of age, she was at the point of death. What happened to her? Every other day when Jairus got up, he would go to the synagogue, right? And he would lead the prayers, and he would find comfort in the songs, and that was enough. But on that day, after standing with his daughter at the point of death, Jairus didn't go back to the synagogue. He ran through the streets, frantic. Where is he? Where is he? Can, I, how, can you help me find him? And he fell down before a man he never thought he would need. Let her live. Let her live. Heal her. 
He prayed these unelegant prayers before an altar he never imagined he'd bow down before. And everyone who'd been in the synagogue every other weekend before that thought, what happened to you? Jairus, like so many of us, had grieved at home, worried in private, struggled in secret, groped for comfort, and prayed for healing behind closed doors until he couldn't anymore. Until there he was in public, humbled, all his panic, all his desperation, terror, grief, love, and longings on display, knees to the ground, begging in sputtering heaves between sobs, heal her, heal her, let her live. It was way past pretty. It wasn't poetic or thoughtful, and it was completely inconsistent with his theology. But it was the truest prayer he'd ever prayed. We've spent 15 months at the point of death. How many of us have sat in our own homes and prayed like Jairus at altars of desperation, on our pillows, on our porch swings, on our yoga mats, and to the mirrored screen after ending a FaceTime call. Please don't let her get COVID. Don't let the depression take my child. Help me be the parent that my child deserves. Bring my mom home from the hospital. Save my son-in-law from the relapse. Heal my family from this divorce. Save me. Save me from the isolation, from the languishing. Save me. This world has spent 15 months at the point of death. Many of us still grieving, bleeding, pleading, gasping, and now we're all coming out, walking around in the world, bumping around in these public places. What's going to happen? There's Jairus with his heart breaking for his daughter. There's the woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. The disciples who are a bit defensive. The mourners wailing for all we've lost. The scoffers and the skeptics. Sure that actually all is lost. Chiding us all, what place does hope have after all? What does it all mean? What is it all worth? It's no wonder the mom in the photograph broke down crying. They'd probably gone to the farmer's market for the first time a year and a half and bumped into Statler and Waldorf at the Muppet family reunion. It's just all so much right now. So much has happened to us. A pandemic, racial reckoning, Political chaos, mass shootings. We've stood at the point of death for 15 months and come face to face with losing not just jobs and gyms and concerts and churches, but our very lives and the lives of the people we love. And that has left us tender. Oh, so tender. Underneath our masks and our makeup, our high heels and our hiking shoes, we're still reckoning with the reality that we came face to face with death and we couldn't get used to it, shouldn't get used to it. Because we love so deeply, give ourselves so wholly, 
God made us that way. God made us to love, to live, to thrive. It's no wonder that Jesus pulled Jairus and his wife through that crowd into the house, back into the room with that little girl and said, don't give up hope. Don't give up on life. Don't give up on love. Don't give up on God. God's mercies are new this morning. They're new every morning. As we rush out to see the people that we have missed, travel to the places we have longed to see, as our society presses us to get up and go out and move on, even as well-meaning environments push us to make meaning of all we've been through, I imagine some of us will feel a little out of step. We're not sure yet what has happened to us. Not ready to talk about trauma and healing. And that's okay. Oprah's book took a week to sell out, but it took her a whole lifetime to write. Sometimes the best we can do is reach out for the hem of a garment, go to yoga class, fall on our knees in front of a friend, gather for a family photograph, or even go back home where someone lies at the point of death and hold their hand. That's where we are. That is still where we are, humbled. Walking around with gyrus hearts and bleeding wounds that no one can seem to stop grasping and groping and hoping that someone will reach back, desperately hoping that someone will reach back. Church, we have to reach back. Our world is hurting. We are hurting. Our loved ones are hurting. And God calls us to reach back. Before the pandemic, our churches were riddled with institutional anxiety. Our committees and our sessions, our conferences and worship services were filled with concern about whether or not the church was dying and how the church could be relevant to new and younger generations. And I get it. Believe me, I have been part of dying churches and thriving churches, and I have spent more time than you can imagine thinking about all of this. But right now, our world is hurting. Our world is a bundle of human need. People are grieving the loss of precious loved ones, scared stiff living in a society saturated with death, and frantically trying to piece together family lives in an economy where things just don't add up for a lot of people. And they wonder, does anyone care? Can anyone help? Will anyone see me through this? Can anyone hold my hand through this dark night until the morning comes? Friends, this is why church exists. (laughs) This is why God sent Jesus into the world to call disciples so that we could stand up and say, yes, yes, I do, I can, I will, with God's help, yes. Reach back. Reach back. Church, if we pause and notice people's pain, 
and offer ourselves as channels of God's mercy, we won't worry so much about whether or not the church is dying. We'll be too busy just being the church and allowing God's healing presence to flow through us. I spent most of the pandemic on the 32nd floor of a high-rise apartment building, 980 square feet, one door that opened to get a little bit of fresh air. And every day, I would put on my mask and hold my breath for all those floors down the elevator, praying that I wouldn't catch the disease on the way down to take a walk. And I would walk out in the streets of Midtown Atlanta. And you know, I mean, some of you know Midtown Atlanta. Usually it's just cars rushing past. I walked straight down the middle of Piedmont and Peachtree. No one was out. And I looked around and wondered where God was. I went back up and spent my days on the phone and on Zoom, listening to people talk about dropping their spouses of 60 years at the emergency room door, terrified that they would never hold their hand again. I met exhausted doctors and nurses for lunch outside of their clinics and prayed with them that the food and the afternoon sun and the Spirit of God would get them through the rest of that day. I watched young Black Lives Matters activists carry pizza from my church courtyard across the street to the steps of the state capitol to National Guard's persons. I rode with 20-somethings who worked in tech by day and at night served as street medics to protesters. And I reminded them, like the mother I wasn't, that they really should sleep sometime. And through all of it, what happened to me? Well, my gyrus pastor heart broke. And I was changed. I was changed deeply. I saw Jesus in so many humble healers, sensed God's spirit rushing to tend to the grieved and the afflicted. And before I had words to talk about what was happening, I was led little by little into a new chapter in my own life and vocation, a chapter that led from Atlanta to Madison and into a deep yearning for a community committed to following the humble healer wherever he might lead. Friends, we cannot, will not, walk away from this experience unchanged. What has happened in this world in recent days is too cataclysmic. The question is simply how will we be changed? Will we allow ourselves to be touched and moved by the suffering of the world? Or will we stand outside the walls where scoffers and wailers keep death and healing at arm's length? Well, as we all run back to church and back to normal, keep your eyes open because Jesus might just be running the other direction to Jairus' house, to your neighbor's house, maybe your house. Have the courage to follow him there, and you might be surprised at what happens to you.